In this chat with Tenna from Project Cull, you can hear about gender equality, normalizing vulnerability in men, and get first-hand advice on starting your own social impact journey. Um, so I'm just gonna go back to your TED talk that we spoke about earlier. You mentioned the statement, a man would never let a woman see him cry or be vulnerable, which applies worldwide, even in my own family, where gender equality is seen as a must in things such as education. Like my brother and I got very good educations, um, yet the men aren't encouraged to show their emotions or be vulnerable. So how do you think changing this narrative and allowing men to be comfortable in their vulnerability would enhance gender equality? Female gender roles have changed drastically since the 50s mm. and the 60s, and our ideas of femininity have changed drastically and became a lot more lax and relaxed. Our ideas of masculinity and male gender roles have not changed at all, at all. And this is not a men-only problem, right? Patriarchy as a system would not exist if 50% of the people of the world population were actively working against it. So women can also uphold and do uphold patriarchy. And mm. one of the main ways in which women do uphold patriarchy in a lot of cultures is by these expectations of how men should act uh, without vulnerability, without emotions. So many young men will come and say, you know, uh, women always said open up and I want you to be emotional and then I am and then they like back off and say oh no that's too much so our expectations of what men should be and how they should act are extremely extremely still rigid and that goes both for men and women who uphold those expectations um, that has terrible effects on male mental health um, which in turn has terrible effects on the entire system of family um, and gender relations in general. So I do think that empowerment and gender empowerment needs to be a holistic approach. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a whole lot of uh, feminists who uh, do not necessarily agree with using resources and energy to empower quote unquote men. And I understand that as well, uh, because there are so many of women who are still in definitely much more difficult positions. So I understand from that perspective as well. But I do think that if we are looking at systemically dismantling patriarchy and recreating completely new social systems that are more just and equitable, then it is extremely important to talk about male gender roles as well and actively including men within the feminist movements. Yeah, I definitely agree. And actually in South Africa, again, it's very similar to India where we've got a lot of gender-based violence. Um, and there's actually been an organization that has been started by two young men who both lost their mothers to gender-based violence when they were younger. And they've started an organization called Langa for Men. So for people who don't know, Langa is one of the oldest townships in Cape Town. Um, and it's a very low income community. And they actually go around in, the, in their community and they speak with young men and young boys and they start from a really young age. Um, to speak about gender equality, which I think is so important. Definitely. And I think it's also very important to caution um, when you're engaging with men within the feminist discourse and the gender equality discourse, it is very important to present it as something that's relevant to young boys and men mm. and not just use them as the tool for female empowerment, right? Yeah. Um, because gender equality and equity and gender justice really do affect all genders. And now we're talking more in the sense of binary, but I do want to point that it does affect all genders 
uh, on the spectrum and uh, all should be involved equally in those conversations. Yeah, and I feel like changing this narrative needs to start from a, a young age when kids aren't as pressured by societal norms placed on them, but they're also at a critical age of development where they're becoming their own little person. Um, so as a soon-to-be mom, what would your advice be to mothers and fathers nurturing their children into people who promote gender equality? Yeah, the problem is that there really is only so much you can do, right? So your household can be as gender neutral and gender equitable as you possibly want, but the truth is that most of the world is not, especially yeah. in our countries like India, like South Africa. Um, I would actually argue most countries in the world. So mm, yes. you can only protect your child so much, but once they go into the real world, the expectations of patriarchy are going to weigh on them. Um, to a certain extent. What you can give them is definitely the freedom and the confidence to explore the roles and their own gender and their own personality um, and their own characteristics without any judgment uh, and without putting the, and we all have those hidden biases. Yeah. I mean, I've been working in gender and development for 10 years through a feminist lens and I still surprise myself with my own hidden biases. And that is actually fine. You just have to be aware enough of that and, and actively work on dismantling those within yourself. Opportunities that is going to come out of this pandemic is um, the kindness at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so after speaking to you right now and also watching your TED talk and learning more about Project Curl, it's clear that you're extremely passionate about gender equality. So what has been your favorite part of this social impact that journey that you've been on? This really, uh, being able to talk to people, um, talk to people about these topics that I personally consider to be very important, um, having a platform and, and the extreme privilege and luck to be able to work across the world really, um, and learning uh, from other people who are in the field while sharing my own learnings mm. and growing this new intersectional just approach to gender equality, um, through collaboration with so many, so many brilliant feminists and gender activists. Um, and working with kids is just amazing. I love working with children. The younger you get them, the better, definitely. Yeah. Um, so it, it has just been a really, really beautiful journey. I think for me, and especially because this is not my first social enterprise, mm. as I said, with every iteration, it kind of becomes clearer the direction that I want to be moving in. Um, and my own kind of niche where I feel personally I can have the most impact. And so that from the perspective of personal growth, social entrepreneurship is an extremely satisfying job, job option, yeah. uh, calling option. Um, so I would definitely say that now we will see more and more young people who are moving in the direction of social impact and change making mm. because they have seen the very pressing needs in their own communities and societies. And to all of those young people, the only thing I can say is really just do it because regardless of how hard it gets sometimes, it is an extremely satisfying path to be on. Yeah, I definitely think um, more and more people are wanting to make a change. And we've definitely seen this in Tribes for Good through our Young Changemakers program. More and more young people are seeing the inequality in their everyday lives and they're wanting to make a change, which is great. Um, so slowly but surely, the world is realizing the benefits of gender equality and the power of women. If you have a burning desire to make a difference but aren't sure how, join our Young Changemakers program. 
This part-time virtual program introduces participants to the basics of running a social enterprise, sustainability, social impact, and innovation through group discussions, expert-led workshops, and learn-by-doing modules. Join us in solving real issues and creating a better world. So what are your hopes for the space in the future? That's a good question. Um, so firstly, I would say that there has been a lot of talk about the business case for women in quality, um, the business case for female representation in the workforce. Uh, and I do find that approach to be a little bit cynical because the, the perks of gender equality are the fact that all people are equal, right? So yeah. there should not necessarily be a dollar sign that has to be put on. This year is also a year that leaves space for optimism, but there's also a lot of space for worry in a lot of, a lot of uh, cases, countries and situations. We have taken a massive step back in gender equality. I do think this is going to globally set us back for a decade, if not more, unfortunately. Um, inequalities have been definitely uh, more emphasized this year and that will continue. But this is not just a problem of, let's say, the bottom of the pyramid or disenfranchised communities. A lot of women will be stepping out of the workforce to take care of for children, uh, online schooling, ailing parents, and so on. And that's going to become a global issue. So we have to be really, really mindful not to take our wins for granted. Mm. There is a long, long way to go. Um, and the interesting part is also now that the approach is really becoming more and more intersectional across the world uh, that is taking a um, more holistic view at gender as a spectrum, all sorts of other inequalities that come into play because there is no such thing as a unified female experience, right? Mm -hmm. They are all intersect with a whole bunch of other things. Um, and looking at it from that perspective actually allows us to create more sustainable interventions uh, big opportunities, again, going to be grassroots activism and grassroots initiatives that are started mm -hmm. by Tribes for Good Young Changemakers, which we have seen across the world, there is some kind of a version of that. And this grassroots community activism, I think, is going to be extremely important in the future, um, as more and more people are taking the responsibility in their own hands and they're not really expecting, you know, big organizations or governments to fix those problems for us. Um, but yes, I think that we should not be taking our wins for granted and uh, proceed with caution <laughs> and care because these are really our unprecedented times. And you mentioned that um, you think that we um, have been set back about a decade or so. Do you think that we'll be able to move forward a little bit faster and make up for that time now that we have um, we've learned so much over the past couple of years with regards to gender equality, or do you think because of the effects of the pandemic, it's, just, it's gonna take a lot longer? I think that really depends on the economical and political landscape that we are mm. entering and how we enter this changed political and economical land landscape. Um, because the learnings that we have for the past, let's say gender mainstreaming has been in play for the past 30, 40 years, let's say, the learnings have not really been applied across the board anyhow, even until yeah. now. They have been used more by um, NGOs, grassroots organizations, and a couple of development agencies, but they have not been applied across the board. Um, so I am a little bit skeptical whether or not bigger organizations and political systems will be willing to push this agenda. 
in light of other for what they might perceive as more pressing risks that we are entering economically. Mm. Uh, but I do think that people uh, on the grassroots level are not going to be, like we're not going to take another 50 years, right? And, and understanding your own power and the power to push for change is now something that this new generation definitely has. They're not going to sit around and wait. Yeah. They're going to take the equality they want. Um, so I do think that there's going to be a little bit of kind of a chasm between the old school organizations and this very active young um, Gen Z activists mm. and change makers. So it will be interesting to see. I think we are entering a transformative period, definitely. Yeah, I read a really interesting article that was sort of based on specifically Cape Town and how the sort of the, uh, the city of Cape Town, the government organizations and the really big NGOs, like you mentioned, um, weren't fully equipped to use, like they didn't actually have the local knowledge to apply to the issue at hand, whereas the grassroots organizations did. They were people from within those communities and they had the local knowledge um, to address the root of the problem. And this article was saying that there needs to be more partnership between the grassroots organizations and the smaller social enterprises and then the government institutions. Do you think that that needs to happen in India as well? No, but I think it should. Okay. Uh, I definitely think it should. You uh, have to understand that this comes at the high end of years of mutual distrust. And I don't mean just in India, I mean globally. Yeah. There has yes. always been a mutual distrust between uh, massive organizations and tiny grassroots who are thinking that massive organizations are coming to take over their agenda and change their agenda and so on. Uh, and we need to get over that fear. And this is where yeah. the SDG framework also comes into play especially goal 17, the global partnership goal, uh, with also including the private sector. And then it's a whole new ball game because there's so much distrust between the development space and the private yeah. sector as well. But we do need to get over that because the grassroots organizations do have that local knowledge and those participatory methods of designing mm. interventions that really create unbelievably deep impact. And it focuses more on depth of impact rather than the breadth of impact, which I think is really important. Um, so hopefully these collaborations will start happening across the board on a bigger scale. Um, but I also hope that bigger organizations will not do the agenda takeover and push their own agenda, yeah. rather support with their own bandwidth uh, and their own capacity those organizations and those activists that are already doing amazing work on a smaller scale. Yeah, definitely. Um, as we mentioned, this pandemic has really shown the flaws in society and people are waking up and they're wanting to make a difference. But especially for young people, they aren't really sure how or where to start. So do you have any advice for followers who are new to starting their journey and making a difference? So the most important thing is to first figure out what is the problem that you want to be focusing on. And that is not as easy as it sounds because the world seems very overwhelming and there are a whole bunch of different problems yeah. that we could be focusing on. Uh, so for me, it was always gender, but really it can be anything from climate change, animal welfare, menstrual health, uh, whatever, what the education really, there, there is a whole bunch of problems and most of them are also interconnected. Yes. So it is whichever problem you choose, you probably will be working on multiple pieces of the puzzle anyhow. But it's really important that you are passionate about that problem. Because when the going gets hard, and it will, it is a lot easier to drop 
if you just think, okay, I'm not that really passionate. I don't really care that much about that particular problem. So definitely first identify the problem and then start doing your research. And there is no shame in stealing bits and pieces of existing ideas and innovating on them and yeah. figuring out where you, piece, uh, where you fit within the ecosystem and what you want to do and what you want to create. Um, and start small. I've seen this with a lot of, especially Gen Z, the ambition is through the roof, mm. which is amazing. Yeah. But life also happens, right? You still have school, you have exams. So start small. It's okay to start with a small scale problem, test it out, pilot it a couple of times, and then start growing and growing and growing. And also there are a whole bunch of organizations now out there like Tribes for Good, that do support young change makers. So make sure you do your research, um, take courses. Now is a great opportunity. We can all be taking courses from all over the world online. Um, learn and get mentors. Um, mentors are crucial. And find people that you like, that you admire the work they're doing on LinkedIn, connect with them and ask for guidance. I think that for me, when I was starting mentoring and being really, really well mentored, has changed everything. Yeah. I definitely think it's important to like remember that don't be afraid. And as you said earlier, take everything as an opportunity. Like every um, experience that you go through is an opportunity to learn something new, gain new knowledge, gain a new skill, which is going to um, be to your advantage, whether you take it through in a social entrepreneurship career or if you take it into another career, it's always going to be advantageous. Exactly. And you don't have to be an entrepreneur to create impact. You yeah. can create impact regardless of what, where your career path takes you. Uh, you can be a social intrapreneur within an organization. Uh, you can volunteer while you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. So whatever career you end up in, there is always scope for impact. Yeah. And you can also make impact in your daily decisions, such as like buying local, that sort of thing. Like it doesn't have Definitely. a massive gesture. It can be small little things that add up over time. Definitely. And that probably means more than making one massive gesture anyhow. So definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was really a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Tribes for Good podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on social media or through our website, www.tribesforgood.com.